And I just want to say thank you for our worship teams over our campuses. Man, I don't know about you, but they just prepare my heart for worship, for God's word. And so to everybody, thank you for joining us, uh, whether you're on our online campus, our Webster campus, or our Rochester campus. A welcome home to each and every one of you. If you came back from Easter, man, we can't tell you how glad we are that you are back and joining us. And, you know, by a show of hands, and, and guys, it's okay to admit this, if you just raise your hands over our campus, how many of you like to watch HGTV? Come on, put your hands in the air. Don't be shy. Come on, throw them up. And yeah, there's a bunch of you. And here's the great news. We don't have to settle for HGTV anymore because we got Magnolia Network too. Okay, so man, we got all the, the restorations that can happen. And you know, every once in a while, my wife and I, the kids will be in bed. It will be quiet in our house, which is a rare thing. And and my wife and I will grab a cup of coffee, we'll grab a dessert, a snack, and we'll just sit down and watch some of our favorite shows on HGTV. Because everyone loves a restoration story. Everyone loves to see old things, vintage things, broken things, destroyed things come back to life. Whether it's buildings or people, we love to see things come back to life, be restored. And if you can kind of navigate through the ups and downs of, of the episode, right, what's behind the walls, the water damage, the mold, if you get to the end, really every show on HGTV climaxes with the reveal. I mean, my wife, she will miss the first 25 minutes of the show as long as she gets to the last five minutes where they show what's been taken, what's old, and how it's been restored, and they reveal it. Now, could you imagine a show on Magnolia Network, HDTV, where they get to that moment, you know, where they pull those big banners and they, they get to show you the reveal and they only show you bits and pieces of it. They only show you angles where you see a glimmer of the restoration, but not the whole restoration. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? How confusing that would be? And yet, I really believe that's kind of how we view the book of Revelation. A, a, a book that is supposed to unveil or reveal to us the future that we're longing, anticipating for, but when we approach the book and we try to read it, it becomes more confusing than anything and we grow frustrated with it. And so for the next nine weeks, Lord help us, we are diving into that book, the final book of your Bible. It's called Revelation. And Revelation, if you've tried to read it, if you've tried to approach it, it can be a very confusing and hard book to read. It often reads a little bit more like a Harry Potter film or a Lord of the Rings story than it feels like the Bible. And many of us can be afraid of approaching it. In fact, one of my favorite scholars a guy who I believe is maybe the brightest biblical mind on the earth. I love what he says about this book. He says, Revelation is every church attender's dream, but every pastor's nightmare to teach. So I hope you all are ready because I've been agonizing over these nine weeks for about six months. But in serious, our, our, our teaching team, we've been researching and studying for these next nine weeks. And as we approach this book, I kind of want to set some goals and a foundation this morning that will build and help us for the next eight weeks. Our goals here is obviously in nine weeks, we are not going to take a steep, deep, deep dive into the book of Revelation. It would take way longer than that. 
But our goal with this series is to give you handles to approach the book with confidence, to, to show you the timeline and the events that happen in Revelation so in your Bible reading plan, when you get to that book, you don't shudder with fear, but you are confident that you can engage with it. In fact, I love what Thomas Paine says. He says, Revelation is a book of riddles that requires a revelation to explain it. And here's what I know, as we tackle these next nine weeks, you are going to have questions. You are going to wonder, and, and I don't have all the time in the world to give you clarity on, but here's what we're gonna do. Some of you came with questions. You knew this series was coming, and you're like, I got a list of questions I hope Drew answers, and I hope I answer them for you too, but I might not. And so throughout the series, if you have a question, we wanna engage with them through our podcast. Each and every week, we release a podcast that dives a little bit deeper into our Sunday morning series and messages. And throughout the nine weeks, we're going to interact with your personal questions. And so if you have a question, you can send it one of two ways. You can go to iwant.info, and there's a banner that says questions on Revelation. You let us know your question, it will come directly to us. Or you can text this number, 585-210-8564. It's in the Northridge app notes, so you can refer to that number. You can text us at any time and that question will get with, to us and we will navigate those questions together on our podcast. Another thing I wanna give to you as we approach this series is a Bible reading plan. You'll notice on, on the LED screen behind me, you'll see a graphic and you can download this graphic. It's a PDF at iwant.info and on this graphic is a Bible reading plan. Here's what we hope that you're not just gonna wait for me to read the scriptures to you, but throughout the week, you're actually gonna be reading the passages we're gonna be teaching on. It's all in that Bible reading plan. There's also additional resources that we have used to kind of tackle this series, and so if you wanna dig deeper on your own or with your community group, you can use those additional resources. But let's start in verse one of Revelation chapter one. It says this, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And so maybe the easiest verse to understand is verse one, because it kind of sets up the foundation for us. It says, hey, it's revealing the plans of Jesus Christ, and it's given to you by a guy named John. You see, John is the author of Revelation. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was one of Jesus's closest friends. And as he receives visions from angels and Jesus himself, he reports those in the book of Revelation. And he actually writes this to first century churches within the Roman Empire. And we're not gonna dig a lot into John, we're gonna save that for next week to give us a better understanding of the book. But what's unique about this final book, Revelation, is if you look at the Bible as a whole, what's interesting about the Bible is it's full of many different genres of literature. Right, if you go to the Gospels, you see a story or narrative literature. If you go to the Psalms, you see lyrics or poetry. If you go to the epistles, you see letters from a, uh, the Apostle Paul to locations. You see prophecy in, in places in the Bible where they predict what the Lord says and what's coming. You see apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament in Daniel and in Ezekiel and Zechariah and Isaiah. And what's fascinating and unique about Revelation is it includes all of those genres of literature. And what's hard about that is when you read it, you're not always sure is this literal or is this metaphoric or is it both? 
And so as we read the words of Revelation, it can come, become very confusing and hard to understand. And sometimes when we read this book called Revelation, right, a book that is entitled, right, you get the word Revelation to reveal. What's hard about that is it feels like Revelation conceals more than it actually reveals. In fact, the very first Greek word in verse one is the Greek word apop- apocalypsis which means the unveiling, to show somebody the events that will take place. And it's frustrating because it feels like it confuses us more than it shows us anything. In fact, that's why Michael Gorham says this. He says, revelation is intended to reveal, not conceal. At the same time, like biblical prophecy, its goal is not speculative foresight, but theological insight. And so as we get ready to jump into this book, I kind of want to set a stage and a foundation for you because I think this foundation will help all of us understand the next eight weeks a little bit better. So why does this book exist? What is the purpose of Revelation? I want to give you three today. The first purpose is the certainty of Christ's triumph. Here's what I love about this study, and here's what I've found to be true as I've studied this book, is it's breeded a lot of confidence in me that I know the end of the story, and I know that Jesus, in the end, wins. He's triumphant. One day, he's going to return, he's going to destroy evil, and he's going to reign on his throne. And guess what that does? It will breed confidence in you. As you see the ending of Revelation unfold, man, you'll have certainty to know that, man, your Savior reigns, and he wins. And so that's good news for us today as followers of Christ, right? We can have certainty of that. The second thing or purpose that that Revelation has is a reminder. It's a reminder to all of us that we will endure suffering, but it has an end. We live in a sin-cursed world, a fallen world. And the reality of that, because sin exists, suffering exists. And so I know there are a lot of preachers out there that will tell you when you follow Jesus, you don't have to worry about suffering anymore. But the problem is the apostle Paul says something a little different. He suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. And the reality for all of us, even if we sit under the blood of Jesus Christ, suffering will be a reality of our life because sin exists. But I've got good news for you today. The book of Revelation will remind you that although you suffer now, it's only temporary because in eternity there will be no more suffering. God will wipe it away. And so it's a reminder that, hey, we can endure, we can persevere because Jesus reigns. Third thing, the third purpose is a challenge to all of us to stay pure and faithful. Despite the crazy circumstances that we deal with, there are crazy circumstances in the book of Revelation. And in that craziness, the craziness we live in now and the future craziness, we have a challenge from our Savior to hold fast and remain pure and faithful to him. And so what's funny is, is people have read the book. They, 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 they've come across some misconceptions that many people have believed, and I want to address some of those. You see, I, I, here's a warning to all of us when we read this book. The first misconception is revelation is not your primary lens or filter to discern your current cultural or political movements, right? Okay, so what's happening today like, is not the filter you want to, to, to look at Revelation through. Let me give you a more practical example for you. When you go to read the book of Revelation, do not have the news playing in the background. 
it will lead to all kinds of crazy interpretations, I promise. In fact, you'd be amazed over these last two years. It's been a pretty crazy two years, right? You'd be amazed. I have a, a mailbox back there in the offices. You'd be amazed at how many pamphlets I have gotten in my mailbox over these last two years that were telling me when Jesus is coming back or that we're living in the great tribulation. And here's what's crazy, right? Anytime you predict Jesus is coming, you can just mark that off the calendar because he says he's coming like a thief in the night. No one knows when he's coming. And so when you predict he's coming, you can just say, nah, he's not coming then. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy how that works. Like, I know when Jesus is coming. No, you don't. <laughs> I love what Michael Gorham says. He says, no other part of the Bible has provided such happy hunting ground for all sorts of bizarre and dangerous interpretations. And here's an important question. When we approach our Bible, when we read our Bible, we have, to, we have to constantly remind ourselves and ask this question, do we read culture into the text or do we read the text into our culture? See, many people have flawed versions of the Bible because they read the Bible through the filter of what's going, around, going on around them, through the culture they're living in. And the Bible was never designed to be that way. We read the truth of the Bible into the culture we're living in. And so we have to be careful when we read the Bible. Another misconception, right, if you were to ask somebody about the book of Revelation, hey, what do you know about the book of Revelation? I would suggest they might say two words, rapture, an antichrist, right? Two big things that happen in the book, they're mentioned in the book, but here's what's crazy about that. Those two words are actually never mentioned in the book of Revelation. You read from Revelation chapter one to Revelation chapter 22, you will never find the word rapture or antichrist. It's crazy, but that's what most people know. The third is the Old Testament plays a vital role in us understanding the book of Revelation. I know many people wanna just throw out the Old Testament, but the truth is, is the whole Bible works in unison together. See, the truth is, is almost 70% of the revelation, of revelation has allusions or ties to the Old Testament. Almost 70%. There are 500 Old Testament quotes or allusions in the book of Revelation. And so we can't throw parts of our Bible away that we don't like. It is perfect, it is flawless, and we need to trust the whole of the Bible. And so as we approach Revelation, let me give you a generic outline before we dive into the book. You see, when you think about the book of Revelation, you can break it up into really three parts. The first part is the revelation of Christ. That covers the first five chapters of this book. Chapter one, we get an introduction. John gives us kind of a background setting for the book. He introduces himself and the visions that he has. And then chapters two through three, we have the seven letters to the seven churches. And just a warning as we, we go through this series, we're not gonna talk about chapters two through three because a couple years ago we did a, a full series called Seven where we shot on location where those seven churches are in Turkey. It's on Right Now Media. You can access it, access it at any point. 
Chapters four through five, we get to see the heavenly throne room vision, and that kind of transitions us into the big chunk of Revelation. We call this the judgment of God or the wrath of God being poured out through his sovereignty, and that encompasses chapter six all the way through chapter 19. So in chapters six through seven, we see the seven seals of judgment, chapters eight through 11, the seven trumpets of judgment. We see chapters 12 through four, the visions of heaven and earth, chapters 15 and 16, the seven bowls of wrath, and chapter 17 to 19 is the fall of Babylon or the evil uh, system in society. And then Revelation climaxes with the glory of heaven. This is the part we all look forward to. In chapters 19 through 22, we talk about the new heaven and new earth, where heaven and earth collide together, and we look forward to our eternal destination, our eternal home. And so hopefully that outline gives you a backdrop for the series that we're about to jump into. And we'll use that outline to kind of give, give you a gauge of like, hey, here's what segment we are sitting under in Revelation. And so as we get started this morning, we're going to do something unique. We're actually not going to start at the beginning of the book, but we're going to go to the very end of the book. So if you got your Bibles, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22 is where we're going to start this morning. And as we kind of build a foundation for the next couple weeks, I want to ask you this question that I think sets us up really well. And the question is this, how does knowing what happens in the future impact how we live today? Because the book of Revelation is really showing us, giving us a glimpse, revealing or unveiling the future events of Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom. And how, if we understand the future events of God's kingdom, the real question is, knowing the future, how is it going to transform my life today? And I believe John, at the end of the book, gives us the answer to that question. We're going to start in verse 6 of chapter 22. It says, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servant the things that must soon take place. And I love kind of how John begins his parting words. Remember, this is the end of the book. And so John has seen vision after vision. He's written it down and he's written it down. He's tried to understand it. And the angel reminds him at the end, hey, John, I just want you to understand something. These words, these visions that you've seen, you can bank on them. They're trustworthy and true. They're not too good to be true, but what you just saw is what's gonna happen with the future of humanity and God's kingdom. And so he reminds him of that, and then he continues. He says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your fellow prophets with all who keep the words of this scroll worship God. So something interesting happens at the end of this book. John, after seeing all these visions, he falls down at the feet of an angel and worships him. And this angel rebukes John. He says, no, 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 no. I'm a, I'm a fellow servant of, of yours. We, we save our, our worship for God alone. 
And it's interesting that, that John, the guy who, who pens the pages that we're gonna be reading through visions, he misses the mark in the midst of God unfolding the future where an angel has to rebuke him. But then he continues, it says this in verse 11, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride says, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears these words of the prophecy on this scroll, if, any, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. And then John concludes, he says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon, amen? Come, Lord Jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen. Oh, that was a chunk, baby. That's the end of the revelation. So, hey, guys, awesome. We're done. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and we're going to have to navigate some big chunks of scripture in this passage. And, and that's a lot to digest. But I think if we think about that question, how does knowing the end change our life today. And I think John, in this passage, shares three things that I think will impact our lives today. The first thing he shares in this passage is a warning to all of us. And the warning is Jesus is coming soon. Right? That's a central theme in the book of Revelation, is the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's bookend from the very first verse to almost the very last verse. Revelation 1.1, look what it says. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. Go all the way to the end of the book. It says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so what's interesting about the Bible, it ends with the return of Jesus, but the entire Bible is really one narrative. It's the narrative that's pointing to the story of Jesus. And what, what's true about Jesus is he came from heaven to earth, and, and the Bible tells us why, to seek and to save that which was lost. And we, we talked about this for seven weeks building into Easter, right? He saved us through his cross, right? He died in our place, paid our penalty in full, and then last week we had a party because we know our God is alive. There's evidence that points to the resurrection of Jesus. And so we celebrated that. But after Jesus resurrected from the grave, he hung out with his disciples, he met with the people he was going to meet with, and then he gathers people and he ascends into heaven to prepare a place for us. And as he ascends into heaven, he promises his followers, you and I, the people of that day, he is coming back. 
In the words of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, right? (laughs) Like that's Jesus' promise to us. But here's where Revelation gets really haywire for us. Because the passage says he's coming back soon. And many of us, we get caught up in that word soon. We live in anticipation for Jesus to come back and we get frustrated when he doesn't. And I think part of the problem is we read the Bible from an earthly perspective, a finite perspective. Because when I tell somebody I'm gonna be there soon, I'm like, yo, 10, 15 minutes at most, right? And Jesus said he's coming soon and we're all like, Seriously, bro, come on. Like, what? And listen, I'm, I'm guilty of that because I hate people who are late. No offense to anybody, right? Most of you show up late to service. I see this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking, but not really, actually. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm early everywhere, right? 15 minutes early. It drives my wife crazy. And so we get this, right? Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. And for generations, people are like, come on, Jesus, where are you? Here's the problem. We have an earthly perspective. If you read the Bible from a heavenly perspective, look how time is different from God's view to our view. Let me show you, Psalms chapter 90, it says this, a thousand years in your sight, that's God's sight, are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. So soon to God is obviously longer than a thousand years. Bro, that's, that's crazy. But again, it gives us a glimpse into how we view things improperly when we read the Bible because soon means quickly to us. And honestly, I, I hate the interpretation that says Jesus is coming soon because if you study the Greek language, it really means more suddenly than it does in time soon. So when you read it, almost read it as if Jesus is saying, I'm going to come, and when I come, it's gonna be quick, it's gonna be sudden. And that's how the Bible describes Jesus' coming, in the twinkling of an eye. It's gonna be in a blip. He's gonna come suddenly. And so Jesus warns us in this passage, he says, hey, I want you to know I'm coming back. I'm returning. And can I ask you a question? How are you preparing for his return? Maybe a better question is, are you preparing for his return? Because many of us, we we know Jesus is coming back. We're living in anticipation for that. But has our life really been in preparation? Have we been doing what we need to do knowing our Savior is getting ready to come back? How do we prepare for Jesus' return? Well, we live, and we live in obedience to what he said. We carry missions, right? Like the great commandment and the great commission that we should love people like we love God, that we should tell people we should share our faith. That's how we live in preparation for our coming king. Let me put it to you like this. I remember the the day I went to college. Freshman year in college, my parents drove with me to college and it was one of the most exciting and horrible days all at once because I was so excited to be like out of the nest, to live free as a man, make my own decisions. But what was hard about that is watching my parents drive away with tears in their eye. And let's be honest, I was the favorite. We got all the tears, right? Like they love me the most, right? Any favorites in here? Come on, show me your hands. Yeah, you're my people, okay? But here's here's what happened. Over the course of being at college for a couple months, three months, four months, I remember the first time I I got on the phone and I called my mom and my dad and I said, hey, I'm coming home. Your boy is coming home. And 
My parents, you could hear the giddiness in their voice. They couldn't wait, and they couldn't wait for all their kids to come home from college. And, and what happened is my mom would begin preparing. And so she would know I was coming, and guess what? When I walked in the house, it was immaculate. I mean, it was sparkling from top to bottom. You could eat off of every crevice and, and nook and cranny of that house. But the best thing my mom did was she asked me, Drew, what do you want to eat? Oh, yeah, mom. I got a list, don't you worry. And my mom would have a smorgasbord of all these Italian foods, all my favorite snacks. Why? Because her son was returning and she wanted to be ready. And can I tell you today, I believe that's how we should live for the return of our Savior. My king is coming back and I will be ready with the way I live my lives. And so are you preparing for the return of the savior of the world? So the first thing we see is a warning. Jesus is returning. The second thing we see in this passage is an invitation. Jesus invites you to his restoration. That is the story of the Bible. It's the story of flawed human beings being restored by Jesus. That's the climax of the Bible, that although we are sinner, Christ died for us and he is able to restore us. And I want to show you in Revelation 22 the imagery of an invitation to each and every one of us. Look at verse 13. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right or the invitation to eat the tree of life and may go into, invited into the gates of the city. Right, and so he says, blessed are those who wash their robes. You know the only way to wash your robes because our sin puts filthy rags on us and the only way to have clean robes is through the blood of Jesus Christ. His invitation to you is say, let me make you clean. Let me, let me make you righteous in God's sight through my blood. And then when you have the blood of Jesus covered over your sins, guess what? He says, you can have the tree of life, which is eternal life. He says, you can come into my city and dwell. Look at verse 17. Look at the invitation here. It says, the spirit and the bride say, what do they say? They say, come. You'll see this word. And let the one who hears say what? Come. And let the one who is thirsty Come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus sits here and he says, hey, let me invite you into my restoration. Would you come? And what's interesting about this word come is, is this is the end of the Bible, but if you go to the gospels, these are the very words that Jesus spoke out of his mouth to a tired and weary world when he was living. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 11. Here it is, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see this invitation Jesus offers you to come to him. And so many of us, we, we misread this passage that we think Jesus is talking to physically tired people. He's not. He's talking to people who are exhausted carrying the burden of their sin and their shame and their guilt on their shoulders. And what he says to you is that burden is too heavy for you to carry on your own. How about I take that burden on my shoulders and I give you my burden of my grace and my mercy. I'm inviting you into the family of God. And the question we have here is, have you personally accepted your invitation? 
God offers you a free gift of redemption, a free gift of restoration, and all you have to do is accept it, embrace it, put your faith and trust in it, and the Bible says you will be restored. Have you accepted your invitation? Third thing we see, so we see a warning. Jesus is returning. Second thing, we see this beautiful invitation to Christ's restoration in your life, to wear clean robes. But then finally, we see a challenge to every believer that your life right now matters. You see, the one very scary thing about studying Revelation is we can get so caught up in the future that we miss out on what God wants to do today. You see, it'd be so easy to get into the weeds of trying to understand things that we'll never understand, that God doesn't want us to understand, at the detriment of all the people you interact with who are in need of Christ's restoration. And God wants to use you in your office, in your workplace, to bring that restoration. And so your life, Revelation, what I love is we're looking at the future, but it is a powerful reminder to me and you that, man, how I live today and the influence I have today matters for the cause of eternity. Let me show you, right? Revelation 22, 7, it says, look, I'm coming soon. So there's the warning. He says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy written in the scroll. He says, blessed is the one who heeds my words and lives by them who lives in obedience. Look at verse 12, it says, look, I'm coming soon. Again, the warning. Jesus is returning, he says, my reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. So Jesus says, actually, you will be rewarded for the life you live now. And that reward is not salvation. We recognize that's not by our works, but only through our faith. But Jesus says, a faithful life, living in obedience to God's word, will be rewarded the day he comes back to us. I love what Robert Mount says about this. This quote has really hit me hard in studying this passage. He says, it is the quality of a man's life which provides the ultimate indication of what he really believes. And here's what I know for my life and many of your lives. We believe in the gospel. We believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus in our place for our penalty. We believe that our Savior is coming home soon. But what Mount says, he says, the quality of your life, the deeds that you live out is the indication or the evidence of what you truly believe. And so I would ask you, do your beliefs match up with your life? Do your claim that Jesus is returning live up to the fact that you are getting ready for his return, even if you don't know when it is? And so we'll wind down this morning by just asking a question. It's the obvious one, but it's a powerful one. If Jesus came today, would you be ready? Oh man, I've... I've thought about this question for so long. I've agonized over this question because, man, what does it even look like to be ready? This question has like, I don't wanna say haunted, but it's just sat in my head and my heart. Like, I want to be ready when Jesus returns. And I think there's different areas of our lives that need to be ready. The first place is your heart. 
When Jesus returns, the first place I believe is he's gonna stare right at your heart and he's gonna look at you and he's either gonna say son or daughter or he's gonna look at you and he's gonna say, I don't know you. And the way God knows us is not through our good works, but it's through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that changes a wretched heart like mine into a heart that is righteous because of the blood of Jesus. So in that question, are you going to be ready for Jesus' return? The first place you got to look at is the depths of your soul and say, do I know Jesus? Have I accepted his invitation to restoration? But then I think he's going to look at the span of our lives. He's going to look at what you have done with the time he has given you. And is he going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to look at you and maybe a little bit of frustration and say, why did you waste the life that I've given you? Will you live with regrets or will you say, God, I gave it my all. I surrendered it all to you. I'll end with John's words. He says this in Revelation. He says, blessed is the one who reads out loud the the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Let's pray together. God, it's exciting to look at your kingdom come. It's exciting to see that you reign and you will be triumphant. But God, in the midst of gazing into the future, may it remind us of our responsibility today. For believers today, may it put an urgency in our hearts as you take us places that our life truly does matter now. Our influence matters now for eternity. And may it put an urgency in the person who has questions about you today, God, to answer those questions and to step into a relationship with you, that you would heal their hearts, that when you look at them, you would call them son or daughter. We praise you for your word, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.